I am Sanjay Parekh, and I am the host of the Business of Meaning podcast, where we showcase businesses that pursue purpose and profit. My guest today is Jamie Crummy. Jamie is a food waste warrior. He's also the CEO and co-founder of Too Good To Go. Too Good To Go is the world's largest surplus food marketplace, um, and you access Too Good To Go via an app that allows you to purchase surplus food from local cafes and restaurants at bargain prices. I tried it myself. It works really, really well. So, hi, Jamie. Welcome to the Business Meeting Podcast. It'd be great if you could give us an understanding of why you started Too Good To Go and what Too Good To Go is trying to achieve. Hey, Sanjay. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on air today. Um, so, yeah, here at, at Too Good To Go, we're really trying to uh, just educate and influence as many people as possible about the tragedy that is food waste. So it really is um, a marketplace, which is, which is more than just an app. I know, I know that sounds really, really cheesy. So <laughs> apologies for that. But it's essentially like a lifestyle. For us, it's about um, making people far more aware that, that food waste is not just um, you know, a financial issue, but it's, it's, a, it's a massive environmental issue. And really, food waste is kind of the victim of, of, the, of, the, of the fact of, of food poverty. So it's really about engaging people on this topic. And your, your, your first question there was, uh, why did we start it? Was, it was, was that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so as I say, it really, it really did start out of a, um, a, just a hate for the fact that food, per- perfectly good food was being thrown away. Um, so that sort of dates back to the end of 2015, start of 2016. And it really was, it was something where we, we, we wanted to empower people to take action against food waste. Okay, so when you say um, it came from that hate, was there a particular incident that sparked this or, or did you just discover this by doing research? How, how did you find out about this problem? Because it's, I think it's a problem that whilst... I certainly have heard the term. I wasn't aware of the scale of the problem until I, I sort of found out about your company. Yeah, and I think that's, that, that there is quite telling, really. Um, we we tend, tend to, in food waste, like we refer to the fact that we haven't really had our blue planet moment yet. Um, la- last year, it was fantastic that, you know, um, uh, plastics became so much on the public agenda and, and involved in public discourse that people were wanting to, uh, to really pressure big businesses to change the way uh, that they use plastic. Um, and you know, we see this now with lots of plastic free initiatives and things like that, which is fantastic. But that hasn't really happened yet in food waste. And I guess one of the reasons is because food waste just you know, isn't, isn't that sexy. You know, it's not the case that you know, we see uh, images of like a, of a, of a turkey with a, who's been injured by a straw or a whale that's been killed by plastic bags. You know, with food waste, it's, it's quite more discreet. You know, we don't feel those, those emotions of, you know, anger and sorrow when we see somebody throwing away a burger or, you know, we have to throw away um, some fruit from our fruit bowl or something like that. You know, um, it becomes, you know, less, um, less emotive in a sense. So what we were really trying to achieve and what, what we are achieving with Too Good To Go is, um, is by making people more aware that food waste is something that is having a terrible impact on our planet. So one, one thing many people don't actually know is that 8% of all greenhouse gas emissions c- 
come from food waste, which is which is massive. Especially like to contextualize that, um, you know, if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter after the U.S. and China. So you know that that's that's like huge, right? It's it's yeah. it's kind of un unfathomable. Um, and for us, it was about bringing awareness um, to this issue and allowing people to have um, the capacity to take action against it. So really the, the marketplace and the app started by allowing people to, to rescue food, um, rescue unsold food that would otherwise have gone to waste or be thrown away um, and collect it from a restaurant or a bakery or supermarket um, at the end of breakfast, lunch or dinner service. And what we've really found is that when people come and collect this food, you know, it's, it's almost like the start of their own food waste journey or the, the, first, um, the first step to them becoming a food waste warrior to the extent that this knowledge and awareness transcends into other parts of their life. So, you know, when you go to the supermarket and uh, you see a buy one, get one free offer on um, fresh produce, you know, you question, do you really need that second kilo of carrots for your weekly shop you know when it, it's it's this this ever so slight shift in our daily habits in which um which we become more and more aware um about the impact of, of wasting food got it got it um so you're tackling one part of the food waste cycle i guess um which is the the restaurant cafe trade and, and the and the excess they produce, you're hoping to then, by doing that, raise awareness at the gen general issue because food waste is, is prevalent in, in the home, in supermarkets, and I'm sure in, in, in other, other parts of uh, the, the food cycle. And then you're, you're trying to nudge behavior as well. That's, that's quite a, uh, yeah, and use behavioral economics to, uh, to, to, to change people's behavior. That, 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 that is a, uh, quite a big mission there so um, and, and very worthy so if we can just delve into a little bit more about how this works in practice you, you say that um, at the end of service there's uh, there's food there that people can access via first question is why why are restaurants producing so much excess I thought that these businesses were very profit focused and quite often um, are, have very thin margins. What, what, what drives them to produce so much excess that they need to, a service like yours to, to distribute Sure. Well, first off, I'll probably just explain the mechanics of the app and then say how this fits in with the, uh, with the businesses in which we work in and why these businesses tend to have surplus. So okay. you know, quite, quite simply, the app works um, very, very easily. A user logs on to, uh, to the Too Good To Go platform and purchases a surplus meal to rescue during a collection window. And that collection window is usually the end of breakfast, lunch or dinner service, but it's specified by, uh, by one of our partners. Now, th this is really the fun thing is that like a user doesn't actually know what food they're going to collect. You know, they have an idea if you're collecting from a bakery that it's going to be some sort of baked goods. Or if you're collecting from a sushi restaurant, you know, chances are it's going to be sushi, right? Mm -hmm. um, but by the very nature of food waste, 
businesses tend not to know exactly what items are going to be left. So it's, it's a mystery. It's a surprise, right? And that's part of the magic and that's part of the fun. Um, and what people are doing is they're, they're, they're paying, you know, between about two to five pounds and they're getting food for the value of about three times that. So then to ask, answer your question as to why businesses are, are producing too much food. And I think, um, you know, we can, we can sort of break, break this down into a few things, but we'll, we'll first look at it from the, the grab and go sector or the quick service restaurant sector. And it's like, you know, quite simply, like people can't buy from empty shelves, right? Yep. Um, and we as consumers, we demand food to be fresh each day, yet we also don't want our, our restaurants to be throwing food away. So restaurants tend to be, you know, stuck in this bit of a in-between land where, you know, there, there's a dichotomy between being sustainable uh, but also giving choice. And I think more and more consumers are demanding choice across a menu. So what, what that leads to is the fact, you know, you know, people can't, uh, you know, people can't buy from empty shelves. On top of that, uh, we see the fact that, it's in particular with the grab-and-go sector, that fridges, um, full fridges and full shelves almost almost applies into a into like window shopping, right? Right. The having lovely food on, on display is almost a hook to entice customers to come in, and if you don't have that hook. There's a there's a there's a there's a risk that people won't come in. Not to mention, many large um, supermarkets or many large restaurants or or cafes or whatever would use food wastage as a KPI. Going back to the same premise that people can't buy from empty shelves. So, if food waste is actually built in to a business's model then there's always going to be this element of food waste. Right. So that's where we sort of come in, is we operate as a safety net to ensure that none of this food has to get thrown away and it can actually be used for food purpose, which is to be consumed. Got it, got it. So prior to your service, uh, restaurants and cafes were literally just taking that food and throwing it, uh, throw it in the bin, is, is that right? Yeah, and I think it is true that, you know, that, that there's massive amount of wastage. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not just ourselves that are, that, are, that are working in this sphere. I mean, it's fantastic. There's loads of amazing charities which are working on redistribution. Um, but often, you know, uh, these charities can't get everywhere. Uh, the food that they're, they're collecting to redistribute has to be eaten that night. But if a restaurant is closing at 11 p.m. and they're going to deliver it at a shelter, the clients of that shelter will have already eaten. Um, so that food can't be used the next day, or it may be um, logistical issues. So food that, um, you know, is hot food, it has to be stored at, you know, 63 degrees or above. So then we see an issue where, you know, if food's being transported from one place to another, how are they going to keep it, um, keep it at this required temperature? Or it could be very high risk food. So th this is this is where we're trying to um, ensure that that food food do doesn't get thrown away, um, and it's very much about empowering members of the community as well to come and rescue this food. I think a lot of the the great stuff that's been happening in the past in terms of redistribution schemes doesn't involve members of the public, and we're then quite oblivious as to the scale of this issue. And if we're oblivious and unaware of the scale of this issue, it's very hard to expect people to then take action 
um, and campaign for change. And this is what we're, we're really, really pushing for, is change. We want to change the way that our, um, that our food system actually works so that, that it can be more and more sustainable. Okay, so um, if you, if you uh, got the change that you required, that would probably mean that your service wouldn't exist anymore, um, I'm assuming. Would, would that be fair? I think in an ideal world, we wouldn't exist because there would be no food waste. Um, and that's what we always have to aspire to. And I don't, don't think you're going to find many businesses which are really pushing for that. Um, but I think we, we, we need to be real as well. At the moment, I can't see our, our entire food system actually, actually changing that drastically that, we don't, uh, that, that food waste isn't an issue anymore. I mean, currently, you know, we've got, the, uh, we've got reports that our population is going to grow to near 9 billion by uh, 2050. And how are we going to feed all these people? Well, some people claim that, you know, to feed these 9 billion, it's just going to be an increase in production. And if it's an increase in production, that, that then means more deforestation and more farming. And if that's the case, um, you know, that's going to have a massive environmental impact. And then we're probably going to be wasting food at the same rate that we are today, meaning that a third of all food produced is going to end up in the bin. Um, what we're really trying to shift is actually let's stop wasting that food and let's ensure that that, that food is eaten. Um, but as I say, I don't think this is something that's going to happen overnight. Um, it's going to be a long, long journey. And this is where we come in as we're part of this, along with many other different players in changing the way that we, that we interact with food. Okay, so the, the big goal is pretty clear, but like you say, that's going to take a long time and uh, you know, is, is something that requires many parties. In, in the more shorter term, what, what is it that you want to see uh, happening? Clearly solving the problem at the back end, which is what you do is, is, is great, but surely we should be creating less waste at the, at the front end. Is this about the consumer then? Is, is it that the consumer needs to understand that a full shelf at four o'clock in the afternoon is going to mean there's going to be a whole load of waste and therefore that's not a bad sign in a shop. That's actually a good sign if, the, if there are you know, three sandwiches left. Yeah, I think it is, it is a, a element of that, but that, that's not the whole, the whole thing. It's about change within consumer behavior. It's about change within the behavior of big businesses and the, practi and the practicalities in which they go about. So that goes at, that's referring to further down the supply chain. And it also refers to policy. So we have to enforce, um, enforce things through uh, through policy, in my opinion, and then with these three with these three factors, I think we can see a very a very um, a very different very different um, uh, world we live in with respect to the relationship of food. So you mentioned policy there, and the government uh, recently announced, I think, five million pound funding to help tackle this problem. Mm -hmm. Are you suggesting that there should be new laws in place or is this the type of thing you, that you're referring to when you say policy? Well, I think um, it, it, it stretches beyond that as well. So it, it stretches beyond to the relationships we have with, um, with respect to sourcing our food. 
um, it goes into that whole redistrib or that distribution process further down the supply chain. Um, but yes, it, it is an aspect of what, what we're doing and we are moving in the right direction. It's almost that this policy, uh, policy to do with food waste um, raises it on the agenda and makes people more aware about it. And if we're more aware about it, we can see a, holi a holistic change for the good. So, you know, I might be a bit cynical uh, about this mm. issue, especially when it comes to supermarkets. Why would a supermarket want you to buy less? Sure. And I guess this sort of goes back to what I'm talking about with um, a switch in mindset and behavioral change within consumer demands. A supermarket will reflect what their consumers want, and that goes for any business. I think we can see that with respect to how plastic's being used. So it may be more um, financial sense for certain businesses to use plastic in the way that they do. It's, it's far cheaper than other forms of, of packaging, but they're changing because there's a demand for it. And I think in a very competitive, um, in a, in a very competitive market, such as supermarkets, um, it's very much about retaining customers and adapting yep. to what the customers want. So if customers are wanting, uh, to eat more sustainably, shop more sustainably, and within that, food waste becomes a massive priority, then yes, I think it is a, it is a big change, and there's room for a lot of innovation with that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think um, we've seen a big change with uh, things like fair trade coffee uh, um, and uh, you know, other, other beverages, uh, chocolate, and also like the, the, the plastic bags. Um, mm. The way that, that that's pretty much vanished now in terms of the days of just going to the supermarket and picking up 10 bags are pretty much gone. Um, so Exactly, like the rise in ethical spending over, over the past 20 years has grown exponentially. I think you would, um, you, you would struggle to go and, and buy uh, tea bags that weren't fair trade or bananas that weren't fair trade. You know, there was a point where they were, they, they, they were priced at a higher price point, but now it's just the given, you know? And I think this is going to be something we're going to see change more and more so long as um, you know, people become more aware about the impact and the negative impact of wasting food. We, we hopefully see a, a, a change in consumer demands, and this will be reflected um, by the actions of big business. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right, and I think it is an education piece. Um, so, so changing tact a little bit, it'd be great to understand a little bit more about your company, um, how it was formed, by whom, and if you could just tell us a little bit about the culture uh, and the values within, within the organization. Sure. So the company was formed to get to go by myself and a sort of a, a group of friends or, or like-minded entrepreneurial individuals who who wanted to live in a more sustainable society. Um, so we actually launched the the platform in in Denmark first, and followed by uh, Norway, uh, the UK, and and France. So it, it grew very quickly in a in a very um, sort of viral fashion. It was very much about um, you know, trying to grow big and, and grow fast, and that's something that, that, that we're still trying to do and we're still um, implementing. Um, but in the past sort of three years or so, you know, we've become very much more um, formulated. 
and very much more structured in the way we're doing. I think our, like our mission is still true to what it is, which is all about um, reducing food waste and empowering and educating people to take action on food waste. We've grown massively since we, uh, since we started. So we were about 10 people from the beginning and we're now 210 people. Uh, and we, uh, we're in nine different countries now as well across Europe. So we've, uh, we've very much grown as, a, as an organization, but we've kept, uh, we've kept true to our, to our mission. And for us, it's, I think you, know, you, can, you can look at, at, at the individuals which work within, with, within the organization and they're very much the people behind this movement. Um, and I say that we are a movement because we're a movement with a, with a strong mission, which I've sort of been talking about before, which is about inspiring and educating to take action against food waste. So these are individuals which are, you know, they're passionate, they're resourceful, um, and they're very growth-minded as well in that, in that sense. <clears throat> wow, that's, uh, that's incredible in terms of uh, your growth and the countries that you're, you're in. Um, mm. Can I just take you back to the early stages? Why did you uh, start off in Denmark and, and Norway initially? Because uh, you, you, you guys are from the UK, right? And, and from Leeds originally. Uh, yeah, I'm from the UK, but my other co-founders are um, French and Danish. Okay. So I think, I think when we look at uh, the, um, like the market of the UK and we compare it to that of, of Scandinavia, I think we can all put our hands up and say um, we're quite far behind in, from a sustainability stance. Um, you know, the, the Scandinavians are very so, socially minded. Um, you know, we talked about a, um, a plastic recycling scheme and glass recycling scheme, you know, and that, that's been in place in Scandinavia for the past uh, 20 odd years. You look at the countries that are absolutely freezing at this time of year, but more, more people are cycling than driving cars. So it's, right. it's a very socially minded and environmentally conscious country. So it, it, it made sense to start in the Nordics um, and the continent. Um, and if it worked there, um, you know, it was a, it was a really good standing point. So we we started in um, in the Nordics before uh, before expanding to the to the rest of Europe. You've had a significant growth in a short space of time in terms of headcount. How mm -hmm. have you managed to maintain the cultural integrity of the business then uh, as you've grown so rapidly? Because when you start a business, that's that's relatively straightforward. There's a handful of you. You're probably all in the same office. You probably know each other quite well, and that's the reason why most people start the business uh, um, because you know they're with a group of people that have got a core belief. But making that work in, at a scale of 200 is is quite different. How, how, how have you maintained um, cultural integrity as you've grown? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes through the structures we have in place um, and things like communication. So commun communication is super key for us in terms of making sure our message is kept alive, um, but also that we, it's, a, it's a form of celebration. So we want to communicate each other when we have uh, things to celebrate and ensure that this, uh, this culture of positivity um, and this culture of change is, is harnessed and kept. Uh, you know something simple like like the recruitment process. We want to recruit people that are passionate about the cause and passionate about bringing change. 
Um, and you know, the, these are people who have you know different uh, different levels of of buying to the mission. So it's not always preaching to the converted, uh, but you know, we have a very diverse uh, group of people, um, and that and that really helps to keep uh, to to keep the freshness of of the movement alive as well. Right. No. Um it's it's a definite challenge, and it sounds like you're you, you know you're on top of it. But just just on that cultural side of things, you you also said you're in nine countries. Again, managing across different countries is um, is is tricky from a cultural perspective, or can be. I guess you started out by being Scandinavian in the beginning, so you probably had a head start for most businesses. Most businesses start in their home country and then move move overseas when they're, when they're ready. Is there anything particular about managing across different nationalities that that uh, you, you've encountered? Yeah, I guess so. So one of the things we have is it's we have local teams in each market we're working in. Um, so we have a London office here in the UK. Uh, we've got a French office in Paris, um, a German office in Berlin, etc. So it's it's you know ma making sure that we have the right levels of leadership um, to ensure that the messages is transcended and, and and trickles down through everyone within the organisation. Um, I think of course there have been difficulties with uh, you know languages and things like that, but everybody speaks languages uh, speaks speaks languages. Of course they do. <laughs> everybody speaks English as a as the first language of communication. So. Um, you know, on that, that sense, everyone can pick up the phone or write an email, um, and everyone can 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 reply and 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 communicate with each other in in that sense. So, when you've been working with your um, restaurants and cafes, I, I'm guessing that that you've had a real mixture of different types of organisations. It'd be great to get some insights on how you manage those relationships. Um, um, not least from the large, very large chains uh, that you work with right now to the, uh, the the one man cafe, you must take quite different approaches. So yeah, we have fifteen thousand um, partners across Europe, and some of those were uh, very very personal relationships from the beginning. You know, we were going around door knocking, um, you know, boot, boots on the ground type of thing. Um, you know, as we uh, as we as we scaled up, you know, we try and keep that personality there. Uh, but those relationships, you know, we have dedicated account management teams um, which interact with all our with all our restaurant and bakery and and supermarket partners. So in that that sense, you know, we haven't lost that 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 personality. Um, what what we have done is we've learned um, and we've we've developed the more we've grown. I think those uh, when you sort of talk about the difference of relationships between the larger chains and the one-man restaurant, you know, I think um, you know, it, it, of course, those uh, those relationships will will differ um, because I think you know you can uh, you can identify that the one-man restaurant, you know, they're they're usually preparing the food, they're serving the food, and they're throwing the food away. You know, they have that very personal and emotive relationship with the food, you know, they're also doing the books as well probably and, and see the amount that food waste is costing them. In stark contrast, uh, the larger an organization gets, 
um, the further that, uh, that that connection to food sort, sort of becomes. I think when you look at larger supermarkets and things, they see wastage as a spreadsheet rather than a big, bowl, a big bin filled, filled with food. So with that, there becomes you know, a, a, different, uh, a different relationship entirely, but it's still, um, it's still founded on the same mission, which is to, uh, which is to address food waste. So how do you make money then? Because the, the, you know, the purpose of these podcasts, interviews is showcasing mm-hmm. companies that are, uh, that are real businesses that make money, but also have, have real strong meaning behind them. It'd be great if you could just articulate the business model. Sure. So yeah, I think that's one, one thing we are quite proud of is that we are a, a self-sustaining business. So, um, you know, by that, I mean, uh, we're, we're not a charity, but essentially we're, we're profit for purpose. So what we do with any revenue we, we, we do generate, that goes back into, um, into developing our mission and growing ourselves. So I've mentioned before that we're very growth-minded. That's why we're currently already in, in nine countries at the moment. Um, and, you know, we've got more countries to, uh, and more markets to open up into this year. So that all goes, that, that's all about reinvesting into our movement and reinvesting into our mission so that we can grow and grow and rescue as many meals as possible. Um, you know, the, the more meals that we save, the bigger environmental impact we're having directly, but also an indirect impact as well. And that what I, that's what I was referring to earlier about how we can, um, you know, we can, we can sort of change the mindset and the attitudes of our users and consumers. So in terms of how we generate money, well, uh, users actually purchase a meal through the app um, and then they go to our partners and collect that food during a specified collection window. So from the, from the money they pay, uh, we take a, a administration fee from that. And that then, as I say, goes back into, into helping us grow our movement. So the, the more meals that get purchased, the, the, the better revenue you have. So the, uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the more meals we save, the, the larger our revenue stream is. Great, great. Um, so if I'm, I'm a cafe owner, restaurant owner, um, and I want to join the fight, how, how do I engage with you? How do I set up? I mean, it's pretty straightforward for a, for a consumer. You, you just go into the app store, right, and just download it and sure. off you go. But as well, it probably makes sense to talk about the motivations as to why a um, why someone working within um, F&B in, in the hospitality sector would, would want to join a platform like this. Okay. And so I started off at, at the start of this talk by saying about the environmental impact, and it probably makes sense now to talk about the financial impact. I think everyone working in F&B probably knows that throwing food away costs them money. To put that into context for our, other listeners, in the UK alone, we spent uh, 16 billion pounds on food waste last year. 16 billion pounds. Now, we spent £2.5 billion on the UK police budget. So it's very, very different, right? We're spending you know, far more on throwing food away than we are on make, making sure our streets are safe. So if we break that down into, into the hospitality sector even more, we can look at how much it costs to throw, to throw away each plate of food. 
So there, there was a study in 2013 by RAP that revealed that it costs a restaurant 97p per plate of food thrown away. And that includes things like the, uh, the labor costs, the cost of the ingredients, the energy used to, um, to, to prepare that food, not to mention the waste disposal costs on top of that. So what we've done here in Too Good To Go is create a platform that allows people to avoid that sunk cost, that 97p. So they, they can actually, you know, rec essentially recover that, that 97p. But in addition to that, they can generate revenue from that food that would be thrown away. So it's really about recovering sunk costs. In addition to that, because we have so many users, we have 7.5 million users across, across Europe, it's also a way to increase footfall in store. It's a way to actually get people that potentially hadn't heard of your brand or hadn't heard of your, your cafe or restaurant, whatever it may be, to actually come in, try that food, and then win them, win them over as a full paying customer. So it's essentially not only a, a platform that allows um, businesses to really do the right thing by not having to throw food away, it's a great CSR channel, but it's also a way to recover sunk costs and acquire new customers. So I think within that, that sense, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic platform to allow, these, allow businesses to, um, to do the right thing and do something that's financially sound as well. So if they do want to get on board, and I, and I really would um, urge everybody to, to reach out and see if it is something that, that work, works for you, just go onto the website. It's www.toogoodtogo.com and uh, reach out to us via the contact form and we'll be in touch. Yeah, when when I um, do my research and I downloaded your app and um, was playing around with it and looked at it and and then actually partaked in the system and it, and it worked extremely slickly. It was it was it was uh, I was amazed how simple and easy it was. But the other thing I found very very interesting was that it did do exactly what you said there. It showcased a bunch of restaurants that I didn't know existed and. Then I also thought actually these restaurants are the types of places I'd want to shop because they're thinking about this whole problem and doing something about it. So, so I completely agree with you that, that it does bring to the fore uh, a bunch of new customers that you, you may, not, uh, may not be reaching. And certainly I think for those organizations that are having a strong uh, environmental side to them or 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 more mission focus it it's a way of showcasing those credentials definitely i think um you know we can see the importance of of brand awareness and you know by associating yourself with some someone like too too good to go is essentially saying that you're a no way uh, no food waste business and that you're a sustainable business and uh, and what we touched on earlier was this was this growing trend in ethical spending so to affiliate yourself with an organization that is all about sustainability, you can see the attraction and the allure there when we, when we contextualize it under, under the rise of ethical spending. Great stuff. So in terms of um, your funding situation, how, how did you start the business off? Uh, was this just you all threw in your, your life savings to get it going or, or did you go out and raise money? Um. 
So yeah, we started with, um, you know, we were self-funded to begin with. Um, it wasn't a lot of money. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we, we got some grants. Um, we won some competitions in which there was prize money and things like that. And that really got the ball rolling. Um, you know, from there, we, uh, we even took out uh, ORID money and things like that. And then we were, we were funded by angel investors. So we've been very lucky that, uh, you know, for us, we've met lot, lot, lots of people in terms of investment. Um, but we were finding people uh, that, that, you know, were, were drawn to the mission. And I think that's something that's uh, very different to other businesses is that people were, uh, the, the thing that we're doing is so positive that it drew some amazing people to us. And it was, uh, you know, we've been very, very lucky with uh, the angel investors we've had that they're very mission driven as well and just want to see this movement grow and grow. So at the moment, are there any plans to increase your investor base or are you happy with how, um, how you're funded? Yeah, currently we're really happy with our structure. Uh, so this will be something that we'll be continue doing. Um, but you know, as I say, as we, as we do grow, uh, potentially we'll, uh, we'll have to look at other means. Because sometimes that can be a source of conflict within a mission-driven business. If your investor base isn't aligned with uh, your mission, um, then you can you can cause all sorts of uh, problems with the strategy and and uh, and where the business goes. But it sounds like that's not an issue for you, and it sounds like you you've been very upfront about drawing in mission-driven investors. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's one thing we'd be mindful of, um, and you know we are very, very fortunate that the that the angel investors we do have um, are very on board with our mission and see and see our vision on where we want to go. And it is very all aligned, which is um, which is a fantastic uh, a fantastic position to be in. No, it's 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 great to hear. So, in terms of um, where you want to take to good to go. Uh, next what's what's on the what's what's next on the agenda what's on the horizon for you over the next uh, uh, year or two yeah so for us it really is about having as big an impact as possible now to have as big an impact as possible we really see that as um as being truly global so we want to be everywhere and we want to be synonymous with all things um to do with sustainability particularly with respect to food waste so for that it means growing our movement it means, um, you know, inspiring and empowering more food waste warriors. Um, and to do that, it means expanding our network and expanding into different markets as well. So that sounds really, really exciting. And, and it sounds like you, you're doing a great job of pushing the business forward in, in, in a very short space of time. One thing I just wanted to touch on before we finish, you mentioned uh, food waste warriors, you mentioned uh, movement community could you talk a little bit about how you see that side of the business uh, developing because right now from where I sit I, I use the app and that's great um, but I'm guessing there is that you either have some plans or that or there is uh, something that you'd like to develop on the on the community side of things Totally, yeah. So we, we, we're never complacent or, or satisfied with how things are. So for us, it's about building that, that, that community and it's about building that movement. So one thing we've been, uh, we've been sort of going further into 
is onto the educational side. So doing um, more workshops with, um, with children, we're doing workshops on how to be more sustainable as well, um, and, we're, and we're expanding on this side of education. So we're actually having tangible and physical materials to give to people that, that we can actually make this movement um, far, more, um, far more educational so people can take action beyond rescuing a meal. Great. It sounds really exciting, and I think uh, educating young people is is brilliant because if you can get to people before they get into their entrenched habits and, and thoughts, then um, then you are setting things up for the future uh, in, in a way that I think it's much harder. Uh, you know, when when people are uh, set in their way, so that, that that sounds like a great strategy. Um, so to, to wrap up, really, Jim, it'd be great to. Uh, hear your thoughts on how you would or tell other people who are who are business owners or entrepreneurs that are looking to have more meaning within their business what would you say to them what would you say in terms of advice to those people okay and um, so yeah my, my my advice for businesses that are wanting to put more put more meaning to um to what they're doing um it would really be you know start starting small you know, I think, you know, if you, if you look at ourselves, we've been very lucky that our whole mission is about doing something super positive, uh, which may, may, may not be the case for everybody, but it can start small with just the way of like, the, the treatment of your workers, for example, and, and the way that you interact and engage with your staff, that that there brings more meaning and more purpose. You know, if there are, you know, if we use the, the topic of sustainability, is there a way that you can be more sustainable in the way that you do things? Um, be that the, uh, the sourcing of distribution or if you're involved in packaging, is there some sort of in innovation that, that, that you can really harness and, and really make that, that area your own? That's, that's really sound advice. And I think uh, you're right. Um, the, the, these goals and these can often seem very large and unobtainable. But if you break them down into smaller pieces and, and start small, then I think it's it's much easier to to start building more meaning into uh, into your work. If you do have a mission and and you do want to add meaning, you know you've got to be truthful to it. So I think that there is something that's that, that's really important. Yes, uh, yeah, integrity is critical. You, you can't. I agree. You can't just put it on your website and then ignore it until until you know a year later and then and then rewrite it just because it looks good. Exactly, yeah. Well, thank you, Jamie, for sharing your story with us today and showing us all how you conduct business with meaning. Thanks very much, there, Sanjay. Pleasure to be on. Thanks again, Jamie, for giving us a great insight into the problems of food waste in the food and beverage industry. It's shocking to find out how much food is wasted due to consumer expectations in the business model of most food outlets. It's surprisingly easy to play our part in reducing food waste, slowing climate change, and get a bargain meal through your app. Too Good To Go really is a business of our time. Now for our listeners, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. And if you love what you're hearing, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you've got any direct feedback, we'd love to hear from you, either via Twitter, at BOFmeaning, or via email at sanjay at thebusinessofmeaning.com. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all on the next episode.